You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. We will be reading out of Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even even to the church, let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, Lord, and I just pray for humbled hearts among these people. I pray that we will have ears to listen to your word and that our hearts will be ready to accept what you have, God. I pray uh, for the remembrance of gratefulness around here, Lord, that we understand how how privileged we are to just be able to sit here under Jeremy's teaching under in the church uh, around here, Lord. So right now, I just pray um, over all of us that we we'll just have humble hearts, open ears, and that we are ready to listen to your word. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Early in my career, I served as a youth pastor, and like many young guys in ministry, I made a lot of mistakes a lot of dumb mistakes. And so parents would have to call me and say, hey, I heard that you uh, let my 12-year-old drive without anybody in the vehicle with him. And I'd say, yeah, sorry about that. And uh, I'd have to say sorry. And I've got a lot of chance to practice biblical reconciliation or so I thought with the number of the mistakes I made. Uh, But on one occasion, uh, one of the parents gave me a phone call and started to light me up pretty good, but in a way that later on I realized, ooh, that wasn't okay. Got a little personal, started hitting below the belt, character assassination stuff that, that, um, yeah, that wasn't healthy and positive. We've crossed the line. And so I did what a lot of Christians who hate conflict do. I decided that I would talk about this conflict with everybody but them and let my wife know, and my friends know, and my small group know, and just about anybody who would listen to let them know how bad this person has done me. Uh, but I did uh, the not do what the text in we see today is so clear, that is go to them personally and tell them the sin that you sense. As you might imagine, that relationship didn't end very well. That conflict never resolved. A couple years later, there was a couple parents who gave me a phone call, wanted to sit down and uh, just express to me how some of my actions weren't very beneficial. And in this situation, uh, they were right on, but I just was really wrapped around the axle of approval. And so the idea that a, that a couple parents would not like me, like really bothered me. And so in this circumstance, um, I decided I was going to biblically confront them in the way that they confronted me. The problem was they hadn't sinned in what they addressed with me. I just had felt hurt by it and didn't know what to do. No surprise, that conflict didn't end very well either. Um, it's been said That in ministry, sometimes pastoral ministry, just having one hard conversation after another. In some ways, that's sort of our job description. We get to have one hard conversation and then follow that up with another one and another one. And that's probably a bit of an overstatement, though this last year, if you were to talk to some of the elders or I, uh, it has been some of our experience, whether that's because Uh, members inside of this church are having a hard time reconciling with one another, or whether it's the 
conflict because somebody hears a sermon and they say, Pastor Jeremy, that sermon really hit me sideways. Like, how dare you write that sermon with me on your bullseye and you're just trying to say something. You should have just come to me privately instead of preached a sermon about it, which I always tell people, look, I promise I'm not thinking about you when I'm preaching a sermon. This thing, uh, the Holy Spirit's working on me. Whatever he decides to do, man, I'm just trying to deliver the mail here. Or maybe it's a conflict because as a parent, you can't believe that the youth pastor would show uh, the rated R movie, The Matrix, as part of a youth ministry lesson, but that too was something I did and I had to say sorry for. Uh, just shout out to Pastor Neil, who does a great job of leading our youth and would never do anything that stupid. So we're so grateful to have him as part of our deal. Like, I never get phone calls about, did you know there was a knife throwing contest at the camp and kids were running around with no clothes around the campgrounds. Um, God bless the rest of those youth pastors who need to learn those lessons. Here's the truth. In a church, conflict is all around. Conflict is all around. And in fact, in our lives, conflict is all around. There is conflict in a church. There is conflict in marriages. There is conflict in families. There is conflict in relationships. And if you're going to do any sort of normal life with one another, you're going to run into conflict. And conflict in and of itself is not sinful. Now, conflict can reveal sin. Very often, God uses conflict in that way. It, it, it begins to press and, and tighten the toothpaste tube, and the stuff starts to come out of our hearts, which we realize we need to address. But conflict is just part of life, and, and it's part of the church. And we have to decide how we're going to address conflict. And, and in a church like this, if you're a member of this church, you consider this your home, we see in the Bible, one of the terms the Bible gives the church is a family. And baked into the idea of family is permanence. You're not jumping families every three months. And so if we're going to be a family that's going to appropriately resolve conflict the way Jesus wants us to, then it's going to require us to walk through conflict with one another. And that's why we've been spending time in Matthew 18 is months ago, the elders and I were noticing that some of the conflict that we see happening out in the world had come into Mill Creek and there were these relationships that were strained and conflict that was going on. And it felt sort of like the elephant in the room and, and at least the way the elders are in this church, if something's on fire, we want to be the kind of leaders who run into that fire. And we thought we need to have clear teaching on how Christians are to resolve conflict. And so that's why we've been spending time in Matthew 18. This is one of the epicenter chapters in all the Bible for how Christians are to deal with conflict. Because in Matthew 18, Jesus is speaking to his people those who call themselves Christ followers. And there are other sermonettes in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is speaking to all types of people, but this one particularly is aimed at his followers, and it's for that reason that we evaluate the principles of Matthew 18, and then we directly plug them in into our church as followers of Jesus because we identify, if you're a member of this church in covenant community with one another, you're identifying as part of Jesus' community. And so that's what we've been doing as we've walked through Matthew 18. And we began with this idea that humility is crucial if you're going to have biblical conflict resolution. Would you say humility? humility? Humility is crucial. That's the attitude that we begin with. And if you don't have humility on, this conflict resolution is not going to go very well. So we started with humility. That was Matthew 18, 1 to 9. And then we considered from verses 10 to 14 how we have to have an attitude of responsibility. Would you say Responsibility responsibility, this idea that if one of our Christians walks away from the faith, walks away from Jesus, we want to take responsibility and go after them like the shepherd who leaves the 99 and pursues the one. And then last week, Chris did a fantastic job. Frankly, I think it was the best sermon of the whole series. And, and that is as he showed us Peter and Paul and how they were resolving conflict in Galatians 2. I can't encourage you enough. If you didn't hear last week's sermon, go listen to the podcast. And it brings us then today to the Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20. This is week number four. We have one more week next week of conflict resolution. And what we're going to see today then is that we as Christians, if we have an attitude of humility and we take responsibility, there's this crucial conversation that happens for Christians in conflict. And it's called confrontation. And our big idea today is that we are to obey Jesus by kindly confronting Confrontation, you see, is crucial 
for Christians trying to resolve conflict. And in our text, we're going to see Jesus answer three questions about confrontation. When to confront, how to confront, and why to confront. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot those questions down. Those are the three questions this sermon is going to answer based on Jesus's teaching. When, how, and why. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Matthew 18, verses 15 to 20, so you can walk with us, show you what the text says. Let's begin with this first question, when to confront. From the text, in verse 15, Jesus is speaking, and he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Now, Jesus is answering the question, when to confront, and the answer is really quite simple, straight out of the text. Write it down if you like. You confront when your brother sins against you. Like, when you get sinned against, you are to confront. Now, of course, the text says brother, but it's not saying that guys were the only ones who are capable of sinning against somebody. The idea is, I do grant guys do most of the sinning, it seems to me, but it's obviously possible that both men and women in a Christian church can sin against one another. And as a family, then, we want to resolve that conflict biblically. And here's some clarity I wish I would have had as a young youth pastor. If another Christian sins against me, it is on my shoulders to take the initiative and go have a conversation. It's up to me to have an attitude of humility and respectfully address what has happened, the sin that has happened. And it's to happen between me and them alone, not bringing everybody else into the mix. Jesus' teaching, of course, and gossip isn't part of this. You're not supposed to be blabbing it all around. And, and I know if the temptation for me is when something happens to me and I get sideways, this is exactly what I want to do. Tell everybody but them. But Jesus is clear. If you're sinned against, you go talk to them directly. Here's your answer. When do we confront? Answer, when your brother sins against you. Now, now, this is simple. In fact, it's deceptively simple, and here's why. There are times when we're going to be in a conversation, and somebody's going to say something to us, and we go, I don't like that. I don't like their tone. I didn't like their look. They crossed their eyes at me. That kind of hurt my feelings, or, or whatever it is. There's going to be times that we're in a situation, and somebody says something to us, and our toes get stepped on. But understand, just because it feels hurtful doesn't mean what they did was sin. Here's another lesson I would have known as a young pastor. Sometimes I got my feelings hurt, but that doesn't make the person guilty of some sin. So the crucial, crucial question we have to ask before confronting a brother or sister would be this. Have they actually sinned against me? Is what they've done, according to the Bible, sinful? Because because if you're going to sit down with somebody and learn from my, my dumb mistakes here, if you're going to sit down with somebody and what they did is not sin, then it's going to end up being you that has to repent. Make sense? If you confront somebody and say, hey, you sinned against me because my feelings got hurt, well, maybe, maybe not. It's like this. Let's pretend that my kids got tired of cheering for the Broncos, um, which uh, doesn't take a lot of imagination, seeing as it's been a little bit of a hard few years. Okay, a lot of hard years, and let's say that they wanted to wear red on Fridays because peer pressure's real, and so they're like, Dad, we want to be part of Red Friday. So I do what any loving Bronco dad would do. I'd go buy a bunch of red shirts and then put in white letters, go Broncos, and send them to school. Have a great day. Um, true story, but let's just say that doesn't get it done. And they're thinking, no, Dad, we really want to cheer for the Chiefs. And so they start wearing red on Fridays and cheering for the Chiefs. And then let's say that the deception is so great that even my wife gets taken in by it. And she starts wearing red, and I'm really having a hard time. And then one Sunday, like, my Bronco flag has been replaced with the red and yellow. And, and, and I come to church, and she's wearing a Chiefs shirt. And so I decide, that's it. We are having a conversation about this. And so I take a Bible verse like Isaiah 63, 2, and I mangle it. But here's what Isaiah 63, 2 says. Why is your apparel red? <laughs> and your garments like his who treads in the wine press. I go, look, I mean, like I didn't write the Bible. I just read the Bible. And like, I mean, the text seems to be clear. Why are you wearing red? 
look, I can take the Bible out of context and I can do all this, but at the end of the day, it's just my feelings and my pride that are being hurt. And I would be sinful in this pretend scenario to confront and say, hey, Matthew 18, 15 says, if you've sinned against me, because that's not sin. The Bible does not forbid us cheering for the chiefs as much as I wish it did. And I mean, it only says that about the Raiders, right? So um, just kidding. What I'm trying to get you to understand, albeit a little bit funny, is there are plenty of times we may not prefer what somebody does, but that does not make what they're doing sinful. And if your feelings are hurt, that doesn't mean that they're out of bounds. So we got to allow God to define what sin is and then adopt his approach and we confront if it's sin. That's why this command is deceptively simple, because you have to first evaluate, is it just my feelings being hurt, or has there actually been sin accomplished? So application here, when we find ourselves in conflict with another Christian, we must first biblically evaluate if they've sinned. So we got to do. Biblically evaluate if they've sinned. And if if they have, then you move on to step two. But if they haven't, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You need to do work on your heart. Why is it that your feelings have been so hurt if what they've done is not sinful? In the event that you're, you feel like you've sinned against, the Bible confirms it, then you go to step two and you confront privately. You don't gossip to others. You don't tell everybody but them. Please don't get on the next door app and pass uh, offer passive-aggressive comments like the one I just read recently. To the neighbor who keeps allowing their dog to poop in my yard, I know who you are, shame. <laughs> Man, don't do that in the church. I mean, if you're bringing a dog to poop in our yard anyway, that's weird, but here's the principle. Christians obey Jesus by kindly confronting. That's the principle. Christians obey Jesus by kindly confronting. So that's when to confront. Let's move over to how to confront. From the text, Jesus, again teaching, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, now this one feels a lot more beefy. And if you're new to the Bible or new to Christianity, you may be thinking, whoa, 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 what in the world? Let me walk you through. If it's a little overwhelming, there's, there's four steps. And I want to communicate this as easy as I can so you can see what Jesus is telling us. These are Jesus' instructions for conflict resolution in his church. There's four steps. Step one, like we just saw, is you go and confront one-on-one. -on -one. Go and confront one-on-one. -on -one. And the goal of this is reconciliation. Hey, the goal isn't, hey, you sinned against me, so I want to give you a little bit of your own medicine. Hey, you've sinned against me, so I thought I'd kick you in the shins a couple times so you know how it feels. No, no. The goal is not punishment. It's not revenge. It's reconciliation. It's the goal of all of this, that we would have a unified body before the Lord. We'd be a family. That you'd, you'd, if you saw this person at Walmart, you don't have to change aisles real quick and hope that they don't see you. But in good conscience, you could look at them and you'd be loving one another. The cross has, offers us power not only to be forgiven from God vertically, but horizontally to have forgiveness between one another. So that's step one, go and confront. Step two, you take somebody along with you and you go and you confront again. That is, if they hear your confrontation, they go, nope, not going to repent of that sin. Nope, not going to repent of that sin. You take somebody else with you. And let's be honest, that cranks the sin up a little bit, doesn't it? Excuse me, it cranks the intensity up on this sin, doesn't it? You're taking somebody, you're trying to reconcile, but now it's two versus one. And remember, this isn't a WWF match. Put him in a hammerlock. I'll get him. No, we're trying to work for reconciliation. So you're taking somebody along to, to help this person that you're confronting be serious about the sin issue. And if they say sorry and they repent, which is the goal implied here would be it's a win-win and, and the family has found unity once again and we're back together. That's, that's fantastic, reconciliation. But if not, here's step three, tell it to the church. 
If you thought step two is intense, I'm going to take a friend and I'm going to go talk to them. Step three might just sound crazy. And yet here's Jesus giving this legit command. And, and let me sidebar real quick because some of you might be listening to this going, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? Jeremy, there's no way I'm going to tell this to the church because it won't work. Like some of you, you, you are so utterly pragmatic, which is a gift in and of itself, but you can sometimes override the clear teachings of Jesus by bringing your pragmatics and going, yeah, 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 but if I do what Jesus is teaching me to do, it's going to blow the relationship up and it's not going to work right. To which I would say, you may be right that the outcome won't be what you desired, but Jesus doesn't say in here, you only have to obey if you're confident that the outcome you desire is going to occur. Look, Jesus doesn't give us a caveat that we can ignore some of his commands if we think they're not going to have the outcome we want. We obey Jesus with biblical reconciliation despite what we think may or may not occur. And so, of course, there's a time and a place to be pragmatic, but Jesus' commands here are not promising you the outcome you desire. And pragmatics never trump Jesus' command. Christians obey Jesus regardless of the outcome, and we just seek to be obedient. Which means that if you've gone one-on-one and they've not repented, you've gone two-on-one and this person who claims to be a Christian won't repent of sin, and then you tell it to the church and they still won't repent of their sin, then you go to step four, which is you treat them as an outsider. Which is you treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Do you see that in the text? That's what Jesus is saying. When he says treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector, you treat that as, as somebody who is outside the community of Jesus. But pastor, wait, I thought Jesus was so kind to Gentiles and tax collectors. What do you mean by that? Well, yes, Jesus was always kind to Gentiles and tax collectors, but you're confusing categories if you think an outsider like a Gentile or a tax collector is automatically part of Jesus's community just by title. See, Jesus is always calling Gentiles and tax collectors to come to him. But what you have to do if you're a Gentile, a tax collector, an outsider to come to Jesus is repent. And that's this crucial quality we see in this text is when confronted, you're willing to repent. And so sure, Matthew's a tax collector, but what made him part of Jesus' disciples is he's willing to repent of stealing from fellow citizens and extorting them. For this is what separates us, friends, from the rest of the world. It's not that we're sinless. Like if you're in here thinking, oh, you Christians, you think you're all better than us and you don't mess up, that's not what we teach. That's not what we believe. The Bible's clear. All of us have sinned. None of us in here are righteous. No, not one. The difference between us and everybody else is we're willing to say we're sorry. I'm sorry that I've sinned. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Here then are the four steps that Jesus gives us on how to confront. One-on-one, two-on-one, tell it to the church. Treat them like an outsider if they won't repent. Which means if we get to step four, treating them as an outsider isn't treating them like a pariah, being mean to them and cruel to them. In fact, it's treating them as an outsider is praying that they'd believe the gospel, praying that they'd say sorry welcoming them here to a worship service. There's not a place I can think of. I'd rather a person who's in unrepentant sin be than at the worship service where you're getting to hear the gospel preached. So we want to be the kinds of people who love those even if they're at stage four. Here's application then. Application. Question for application. Is there anyone you need to biblically confront? Is there anyone you need to biblically confront? Someone the Spirit is prompting you to go talk to. Maybe you've been ignoring it. Something you've dismissed because you're thinking, no, it's not going to work. Whether you flat out told the Spirit, no way, or whether you've come up with some other excuse, if you're not willing to obey, you're hindering the unity of Christ's church. And you need to repent if that's the situation for Christ has commanded Christians who've been sinned against to kindly confront. 
That's the first question for application. The second one's this. Have you followed the steps Jesus has outlined? Have you followed these steps? Meaning that you've confronted sin, that sin's been repented of, confessed, and forgiveness was granted. Like, has reconciliation happened? Because look, if you're at Walmart and you're walking down the aisle and you're like, yes, I have, I've had full reconciliation with my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ. But you're at Walmart and you go, yeah, I don't want to run into them. Or you're at a, you're at a worship service and you're like, I'm going to start going to a different worship service because I don't want to have to look at them. Well, that doesn't smell right to me. And if there are steps you need to take, then go and do it. And now if it's been resolved, let it be resolved. But look, if you're sitting there and you're going, oh my goodness, pastor, you're crushing me. This is overwhelming. I'm feeling so frustrated that you're saying, I've already got enough on my plate. You think I need to go do this too? Let me just tell you, you're not alone. Man, this past year, I found myself in, in, in several different really abnormal conflicts in which I was the problem. I was the one Guilty of sin, I'll spare you the details, but, but in the event, I had to go to several different people on several different occasions and just say, look, I'm the problem here and I'm sorry for my sin. And so if you're in this situation right now and you're just like, I, thanks a lot for your sermon, pastor, but I'm not interested in any of the, what this Matthew 18 stuff says. Man, me too. And like I came up with so many excuses at first why I wasn't going to obey Jesus and why I was the exception to the rule. And I tried my hardest, but at the end of the day, I found myself before the Lord just going, okay, Jesus, I think this is what I have to do. And I don't think I have it in me to do it. And so truly, here is my prayer. Jesus, if you want me to do it, would you give me the power through the Holy Spirit to do this? Here's a beautiful truth, friends. What the Lord requires, the Lord provides. The Spirit gave me what I needed to do and had to make some phone calls had to meet in person. It was tricky. Was it hard? Yes. Was it humiliating? Totally. But did we reconcile? And best I can tell in several of the different situations I'm thinking of, we did. And I'm so glad because unity's worth it. Unity's worth it. And, and look, P.S. here, if you're going to have to go through something like this, I think you need to do it in person. I don't think you fire off a text to tell somebody that you've got a conflict with them. I don't even think a phone call is sufficient. You may need to set up something through a, through a text or an email. You may need to phone a friend to just go, hey, I need to have this conversation. But I'm convinced these things need to happen in person. Here's some research. This is extra biblical, but here's the research. 7% of communication, give or take, is just your words. So if you read my manuscript, you would get 7% of what I'm trying to say, okay? 38% of communication is tone. 38% is tone. 55% is body language. So if you're just making a phone call, you're still not getting half of what's being communicated. I realize Jesus doesn't say in the text that you have to meet face-to-face, -face, but I'm convinced meeting face-to-face -face is the best way. And that's my pastoral opinion, so I'm not trying to pretend like those are Jesus' words, but I would say this. If we're going to coach teenagers not to break up with somebody on a text, let's do biblical reconciliation in person, huh? All right, soapbox done. When to confront, how to confront. Last question Jesus is addressing, why to confront? Why to confront? Here's, here's the last couple of verses. Look in the text. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. I think this section is the most confusing, misunderstood of the whole chapter. I've heard plenty of people say this. Maybe you have too. This binding and loosing, it's about spiritual warfare. If you've never heard that before, God bless you. For the rest of us, it's like, I bind that demon, I loose a righteous angel. That ain't what this thing's about. And neither it is a prayer hack to be able to get the new car you want. Rather, remember the context. This is all in the context of conflict resolution in a church clarifying that there is a relationship between what a church does with conflict resolution and what's happening in heaven. Some of the reason it's confusing and misunderstood is because the word that the ESV literally translates binding and loosing can feel a little confusing to us. The Amplified Bible suggests the word forbidding with binding and allowing with loosing. In fact, if you've got a Bible there, you might just write these 
two words down in your margin so that it keeps it straight for you. The word binding, I think a more helpful synonym would be forbid. And a more helpful synonym for loosing is allow. Meaning, whatever you forbid on earth, you're forbidding in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, you loose in heaven. So that ultimately, if you're talking to an unrepentant sinner, and then you say, we're going to have to treat you as an outsider, you're forbidding in the community of Jesus what God forbids in heaven. Which, if you're listening close, may make you think, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you saying that if the church walks through this conflict resolution stage and they get to the end of part four, that what you're saying here in the context of the church, God has to do in heaven? Is that what you're saying, pastor? No, that's not what I'm saying, but you're close. It's actually flipped. As a church, what we're doing is God has already established what is holy and good and what's sinful. And so when we're faithful to God's word, we are mirroring here in his community what is true in heaven. It's not that God follows the church in what we forbid or allow. It's the opposite. So when the church points at something and says that's sin, and you say, I will not repent of this sin. Well, unrepentant sin, that's what sends us to hell, is when we won't repent of sin. That's indicative of non-Christians. What makes a Christian a Christian is they're willing to repent of sin. So the church wants to forbid what God has forbid. And that includes taking sin seriously and calling one another to repent. If this is still really confusing to you, listen to this quote from Leon Morris. He's a commentator on this text. I think he says it well. Jesus is not giving the church the right to make decisions that will then become binding on God. Such a thought is alien from anything in Jesus' teaching. Jesus is saying that as the church is responsive to the guidance of God, it will come to the decisions that have already been made in heaven. Here's the point. Here's why we confront. First, to faithfully follow God's teaching about sin. That's verse 18. Verse 19, then, the reason we confront is not for a prayer hack, but second, it brings unity. Because if a church is coming together and praying for biblical reconciliation, that's unifying to the church. And if the person repents, that's unifying to the church. And verse 20 then is this incredible promise that even when a church is experiencing significant conflict, even if that church is down to just two or three people, that the presence of Jesus is there with them in a special and unique way. Even if biblical, in, or excuse me, even if unbiblical infighting is occurring, that two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there with them, calling them to faithfulness. Well, here then are the three reasons to confront. First, to faithfully follow God's teaching about sin. Second, for unity. And third, because Christ is with us. That's why. And it brings us then to the application, here's a question for you. Will you faithfully obey Christ's teaching? Will you faithfully obey Christ's teaching? And look, there's gonna be times you get it wrong. Obviously, there's plenty of times that I get it wrong. But at the end of the day, we wanna keep coming back to God's word and submitting ourselves to whatever the authority of God's word is calling us to do, man, we're going to follow and obey that. And I'm telling you that the, the elders and the staff team, and we are committed to trying to faithfully obey what, what God has put in front of us, the clear teaching of his word, we're committed to obeying. And we could go to a conference for church growth and they could say, hey, if you'd like to grow your church, if you'd like to double your budget, here's some principles. But generally speaking, the sort of principles they offer is like, hey, whatever you do, quit talking about sin because nobody likes that. And whatever you do, don't do Matthew 18. That's going to rush. That's going to make people want to leave your church. But at the end of the day, we're not measuring success by how many people show up or how big our budget is. And we're trying to measure our success based on the faithfulness to God's word. Because I'm convinced that someday when I face judgment, and I'm saved only by Christ alone, and then Christ says, man, have you been faithful? Have you been successful? 
I don't think Christ is going to say, were you able to pack a bunch of people into the, the church service on a Sunday morning? Were you able to double the budget and get a new building built? I think his question to us elders is going to be, were you faithful to what I told you to do? And were you faithful to preach what I gave you to preach? And as far as we're concerned, man, we want to be faithful to God's word. The question for you is, how about you? Will you faithfully obey it? Sermon in a sentence. Christians obey Jesus by kindly confronting. Look, some of you might be in the middle of conflict right now. Holy Spirit's prompted you. Here's the next step. Will you do it? Or some of you, you have buried conflict you haven't dealt with for years. and You got work to do. Are you going to obey Christ's teaching? True story. That's exactly what happened when I was working on this sermon almost a month ago. I'm, I'm literally doing the study when I sense the Holy Spirit bring up to me a 15-year-old conflict. Man, I hadn't thought about Matthew 18 and this conflict for years. And there I am, just Jesus sitting there with the power of his spirit, looking at the word going, man, I want to preach the word faithfully. When this 15-year-old conflict comes up and I just thought, man, I don't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Ah, that was just probably bad breakfast that brought that memory up. And I came up with like a million excuses why well, I have to obey. Yeah, sure, I'll preach it, but I'm not going to do anything about this, Jesus. But as I kept working this word, man, it kept working me. And I realized there's, I wasn't obeying Jesus and I had to go do work. What I had to determine was, will I obey Jesus no matter what? I think that's the question for all of us. Are you going to obey Jesus no matter what? And maybe you're sitting there going, look, pastor, I just don't think I can. Like, I don't think I can. It's too hard or I'm too ashamed or there's just too much change that's needed. I don't think I can. If this is you and all of this feels overwhelming, I want to tell you, man, I felt some of that. What you need is it's so what all of us need. You need the gospel. You need the power of Jesus. Because if you're here and you would just go, man, this feels too hard. Consider Jesus Christ in heaven needing to come to earth to put on flesh, live a perfect life, be tortured, spit on, beaten, whipped, die on a cross. Like that's what he had. And, and the author of Hebrews says, therefore consider him who endured such persecution and suffering so you don't grow weary and lose heart. So if you're here and you're feeling like it's just too hard, remember man, look what Jesus has done. And the power of the gospel then can begin to motivate and mobilize you to know, man, if Jesus could come and bring reconciliation between us and God, then the same power that raised him from the dead can empower you and bring reconciliation horizontally among your relationships. Man, Jesus didn't die on the cross and bring reconciliation between us and the Father so that we would just have all of this infighting the rest of our life in a church. Man, unity vertically and horizontally or maybe it's not that it's too hard. Maybe you just feel too ashamed. Gosh, I get that too. I mean, I'm a preacher for heaven's sake. And I had to say sorry more in the last couple months than I feel like I've had to for years. Truth is, it's probably because I didn't say sorry for all these years. I'm probably right on pace right now, finally. But if you're, if you're too ashamed, man, remember, remember Christ on the cross. He took the shame so you don't have to. He took your shame. So if you're sitting there and you're feeling like, oh my word, I'm just so ashamed that I'm a sinner. Well, wait, that's the step one of the gospel that you're a sinner. No one is righteous. No, not one. So if you walked in here thinking, yeah, my stuff don't stink. I'm fine. I've got it all figured out. Well, you've already been not believing the gospel. You don't have to walk in shame. Jesus took your shame. And if you just feel like, man, too much change is needed, remember Jesus' promise from Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus' yoke is easy. Jesus' burden is light. And you might be thinking, no, man, I don't want to do it Jesus' way. That feels heavy. Jesus promises that however you're doing it your way is heavier than what he has for you. Just humbly say, I'll follow you, Jesus. I mean, Christ, he took the initiative to become our sin, 2 Corinthians 5. At the cross, Jesus paid for all our sin, Romans 3. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Jesus reconciled us to himself so we can be ambassadors and offer reconciliation. Friends, I hope that you'll take Jesus' teaching and you will kindly confront one another when you're in the middle of conflict. Well, as we've done in all these sermons, we have ended this with an interview because we want to try to get practical and ask a couple specific questions. And today I've asked Pastor Marty to come up and share a little bit. He's uh, one of the Mill Creek counselors. If you didn't know, we have a counseling ministry that's just fantastic and, and helps people who, some uh, of those who are in conflict to know how to reconcile. And so I've asked him to come up and join us. Um, as I understand, our counseling ministry has eight different counselors that are part of the team. And uh, Marty, you've been doing this for a number of years, so yep. I'm convinced that there's uh, very little that anybody could sit down and say, hey, I, I've kind of been struggling with this conflict that you haven't heard or seen. You've been there and done that, is my guess. Yeah, I'm vintage. <laughs> yeah. All that to mean, if you're sitting there going, man, I'm in a real tough spot, Pastor. I don't, I don't know if there's any help for me. Um, truly, I think uh, uh, Pastor Marty's been there and done that, or somebody on his team has, yep. so I would encourage you to, to uh, visit with him if you're interested. Okay, well, question um, for you. It, the sermon indicates that if somebody sins against you, it's mm -hmm. our job to confront, but the question to begin with is, do we confront every time, like every time we see somebody sin, is, is that the way this thing works, or, or help us think through that? Yeah, um, sometimes we feel the force of this pa passage like a sledgehammer, like, mm -hmm. oh man, it's just, I have to do this all the time, and, and the, the New Testament actually teaches that there are certain faults or offenses that we can overlook, right? It, we're told we can do that. And so the way to get there, I think, is to start with some good self-examination. And for me, there's two questions to ask to make sure, okay, can, can I overlook this? Because there's a fine line between denial, which is refusing to do the work, and truly uh, overlooking the offense. Overlooking means that at the end of the day, I can put my head on the pillow and sleep well. This is, this is not a problem, right? So that's kind of the first question to ask. Am I losing sleep over this? Am I troubled over this? That, that may mean I can't overlook it. The second is, can I be charitable and loving to this person and not have this affect the relationship? Because if in my mind, I'm putting a check on a scorecard, and then two weeks later, three weeks later, oh, there's another check on the scorecard, I have not truly overlooked the offense. I've got to be able to go, this does not hinder the relationship. Right on. Okay, what about a situation where um, we were saying, hey, if somebody sins against you, but you've got to make sure that the Bible calls it sin, what about a person who goes, well, I don't know if the Bible calls this sin or not, and I don't even, sounds like I can't even ask anybody because that's gossip. What does a person do who's feeling kind of cornered by both of those truths? Yeah, uh, and, and let's face it, the, the idea of confronting someone, if you're wired to confront, you're a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because most of us are not wired to confront. Instead, we're, we're, we're asking all the other questions. So I would tell you that almost every time in the back of your mind, when there really is an issue, you're probably struggling. I don't think there's anything wrong if you're, if you're going, man, I don't know that I can put my finger on the exact thing that's going on, but it feels wrong, right? I think it's okay in the body of Christ to take advantage of the resources that are available there to ask some of those questions in wisdom. And, and the way I, if someone comes to me to talk about something like that, what I ask them to do is, could you flatten this out and not share the name of the person? Can we just talk about the situation and get a feel for that? Because that helps avoid the gossip. That helps uh, the person you're seeking wisdom from not get drawn into some uh, taking up an offense for you, right? And, and getting some of that counsel and care. Our, our counseling team would love to be able to have that kind of conversation. We, we have. We, we know that sometimes there can be a very convoluted, twisted situation, maybe with extended family. Maybe it involves a business decision. We actually have, this is a big term, but a certified Christian conciliator. That means someone who's actually trained and actually through the Kansas Supreme Court can come in and do small claims mediation. Uh, so there's a lot of expertise just on how to help people figure things out. We have someone like that on staff, Patrick Van Hookie, if you've ever met him, he was in the first service. 
he has a parachurch ministry right here in Shawnee called Peace of Christ. And he's sort of the expert when someone's really in a convoluted situation where I go, would you talk to him? Because he can often help you figure out, okay, what's going on here? What are my options? Is this really, truly uh, an offense that we ought to deal with? Okay. So we can be general, don't use specific names, and get some pastoral yeah. advice. If you need some, you can ask Pastor Marty. You, you don't go up to him and say, hey, I have a friend named Pastor Schmarty who's wearing <laughs> red on Sundays. Could you help me? With, okay, yeah. uh, track jump. We let's say we know sin is happening, but it's not happening to us. It's somebody else, say a say a sure. victim or a child. What should we do in that circumstance? Yeah, I mean there are some situations where man, you just know there's a person that maybe doesn't have a voice, right? You know something's going on and they don't have a voice. Uh, I think the, uh, scripture is overwhelmingly telling us that you've got to do something in those situations. You know, God has a preferential heart for the downtrodden. Read the Old Testament. Uh, Widows and orphans were the lowest in society, and Israel was to care for them. The church picked that up in the New Testament and said, you care for those people. Mm -hmm. So to ignore one of those situations uh, is difficult, and you shouldn't do it. But again, I would say talk to an elder, talk to a pastor if you're aware of that kind of situation. Yeah. And what if you think that in confronting sin, it's actually going to create some sort of violent interaction? Do, do we still do what the text says here? Do we tell police? How do we try to relate through that as we're thinking Christianly? Yeah. And I think anytime there's a situation like that, there are two, um, there are two spheres of authority in a Christian situation in like that, like that, right? There's the church, where the church is supposed to do something if it's within the church. But then if there's clearly uh, violence, uh, abuse of some kind, at this point, God has, Romans 13, he has appointed uh, the state to not bear the sword in vain, right? They're, they are to punish the evildoer. And so we want to be very careful to know who's supposed to do what. But when there's a clear violation like that, you have to both talk to them as a church member, but you can't avoid the responsibility of making sure a legal uh, situation is taken care of as well. Right on. Okay, last couple questions here. Uh, let's say that, that uh, somebody said something to me. They, I don't think they sinned, but it just really hurt. Yeah. It really yeah. hurt. What do I do with that? Yeah, when, when those situations happen, um, my advice is, first of all, you probably still should have a conversation but if, if that hurt is all that's driving you, you might want to do a little business with the Lord first. Uh, I, I, would, I would want to be seeking the Lord and praying. Let the Holy Spirit be the first counselor, right? That's his job. But then if there's still kind of this stuck place where you're at, that's another situation where talking with a counselor can be great. Uh, we don't often realize this, but the most difficult hurts that we have are often the, the watershed moments that God's trying to propel our growth to be more like Jesus. Mm. Jesus, uh, we're told about, about Jesus in 1 Peter 2, that he was reviled, he did not revile back. And, and the context just before that says, we get called to suffer like Jesus does. So sometimes those hurts are God's way of trying to get our attention on something too. And, you know, then you may realize, oh, there is a conversation I need to have, and I would encourage you to have those. My experience is it's the conversations I didn't get to have that are most hurtful mm. for me, uh, not the ones that I did have. Okay. No. Pro tips for, hey, I need to do some confrontation. Uh, hey, I'm sitting here, I'm realizing I have to have a conversation. Any pro tips if I'm going to have to go do the confronting that you'd offer? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, remember, Jesus always wants us to work on our own heart first. This whole sermon series is about making sure we're coming with that right heart attitude. Uh, there's a, a ministry we use a lot of materials in the counseling uh, ministry from peacemakers. They have kind of a four-step process. One of them is to get the log out of your own eye, right? Make sure you're, you're doing the work and letting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God do good work in your own heart first. But you always want to glorify God first. God's giving you this situation ultimately to build you and build up the body of Christ, even though it's hard. You want to glorify God. You want to get the log out of your own eye. You want want to have a spirit of saying, I want to gently restore this relationship. So that's the, your driving motive, not to be right. Mm. And then you want to take the initiative to go 
and be reconciled. So you want to do that, that work first and let God do that work first in your own heart. And I know that can be hard. It can be hard to go, but they're going to say some hard things back to me. I know they're going to say some hard things back to me. But just let the Lord use that for you as well. I mean, Jeremy, you've testified to yeah. it really in, in yeah. trying to explain what God was doing in your heart preparing for the sermon. I really think uh, if we would do conflict resolution well, we'd actually see God grow each of us yeah. in those conflicts. How about on the other side? Somebody's going to confront me. Any pro tips when I'm on the receiving end? Yeah. Assume there's an element of truth mm. in that. It, they, it, pro tip, it always comes out the wrong way. <laughs> it, it always hurts. It always, it always feels like an attack. But, but assume there is a kernel of truth, a nugget of truth in there, and ask God to give you the discernment, the patience, the wisdom, and the two of you to get to that kernel of truth. And uh, be patient with the process that God is going to use and try to assume the best for the other person, right? Yeah. Last one. I'm in conflict with somebody who's not a Christian. Do I still do all of this or oh, do the rules yeah. change? Yeah, I, I think the very first step of Matthew 18 can apply with an unbeliever, right? Because someone could sin against you and you could say, hey, this was wrong. Can we talk about this? Now, I... First Corinthians 2 says that the unregenerate person cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. They don't have the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So you, you can't expect that you can, oh, I'm going to take this person to the church. Well, they're not even part of the church, mm -hmm. right? So you, you, you're sort of limited to being able to clearly communicate that. But think for a moment what a gospel opportunity it is to do that in a way and say, hey, the reason I'm doing this is Jesus asked me to guard my heart when, when someone, when I feel an offense against someone, and I'm coming to you to do that, you, you could open up a great door for gospel conversation. You don't know that the Holy Spirit might not want to use that to help draw that person to you or to him. Yeah. Amen. Well, Pastor Marty, we're really grateful for you. We're grateful for your counseling ministry. Uh, Church, if you didn't know, one of the superpowers the Spirit has gifted Marty with is being able to do this. So please lean on him if you need any more help or you have some questions. He'd, he'd welcome that. Uh, what I'd love to do right now is pray, yeah. ask the Spirit to do this. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thanks that you've given us uh, some clarity on how we're supposed to think through conflict. And I pray, as painful as it is, would you use this conflict um, for your glory and our good. Hmm. And uh, Jesus, whatever's going on in people's hearts, I pray, Spirit, you would uh, provide what you require. You'd help us to be faithful and obedient and draw us closer to yourself. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Thanks for Christ. Thanks for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.